babes, you would not believe the week I've had. In five days, I've entered the threshold of classrooms, the ER, and hell, which I visited on my way out of October just to spit in the devil's eye for giving me a phony Ouija board. But I digress. We aren't here to catch up on my four-decade-long rivalry with Satan over the duality of man and our co-ownership of a Waffle House we both inherited from Ronald Reagan. We've come to learn about more badass women of history. As always, I'm Mary Jane, and this is her story. And in this episode, you'll be relieved to know I will not be butchering the Spanish language. Well, probably. You never know how these things are going to go. And even better, we are back to one of my favorite pastimes, offending the French. And here to do that with us today is my darling roommate, Kea. Kea, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I've never been on anything like this before, so I'm so excited to see what we get into. You poor thing. I've not prepared you at all. Oh, God. No, she has not. I am kind of terrified, but I mean, what is it if you're not just stepping outside your comfort zone, you know? You've always been braver than most. We'll see after this podcast. <laughs> Kay is like, I've already packed my bags just in case. No, I have the Ouija board that. right there so we can conjure up anything in case it gets a little dull. Well, <laughs> fingers crossed we don't need to do that because I do not feel like seeing Satan again. 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 Okay. He's so annoying. He is. He's so annoying. You just, like, he just won't give me diplomacy. his tax returns. Oh. How are we supposed to file properly if he doesn't give me the tax no, returns? No, I know, right? And we don't learn any of that. So, like, exactly. I don't get it. You're in Kelly. She can't even help me. This is ridiculous. No, I hate accounting as a finance person. Is that kind of sad? <laughs> no, it's fair. Actually, this whole thing is about, this whole episode is basically about poor accounting. Okay, perfect. So, People need to take accountability. Account- she said it. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Podcast is over. Podcast We've done it. Oh, oh shit! <laughs> oh wait. Oh, I think we forgot to do something. Maybe. Oh. Mm. Okay. Ooh, what? Well, uh, <laughs> as any devoted listener knows, we talk about women of history, diving into the lives of women whose stories are often misconstrued or entirely omitted from our textbooks. And today, we are looking at the warped legacy of one of the most famous queens in history. Kaya, how do you feel about cake? I love cake. Cake is amazing. There's marble cake. There's strawberry. There's cheesecake. What kind of cake we're we talking about? We're talking about metaphorical cake, unfortunately. Oh, we got well, real that cake can after be, this. That can be good too. Yeah. Would you rather eat cake or eat the rich? Mm, what if you want to become the rich and eat your cake at the same time? Can you have your cake and eat it too? That is what we were talking about. Exactly. So we are going to be looking at how food, or rather the lack thereof, led to the downfall of the French monarchy, and at the head of this anti-royal sentiment <laughs> was Queen Marie Antoinette the last reigning queen of France. And you may be surprised by her real story. So Maria Antonia Josepha Joanna von Austerich Lothringen was born November 2nd, 1755, which is actually a few days after we recorded this. Oh, oh shit. Okay. Yeah, which is kind of fun. It's like we planned it, Kaya. No, it's literally her birthday and we got to celebrate. Exactly. And we'll eat cake. And we'll eat our cake, too. And we'll eat our cake, too. She was born at the Hofburg Palace in Vienna, Austria. Maria Antonia was the daughter of the Holy Roman Emperor and Empress, part of the infamous Habsburg dynasty, also known as the House of Austria. You may know the Habsburgs from their infamous family tree. They married so many into so many different royal families that said family tree really is a wreath. Ah, incest. We're back on the inside. I swear. We were doing so Home well this season. Alabama. Wait, we what? We literally, okay, every season, every time, there's so much incest. So and is I, it we more of a tree or a vine? 
It's a wreath. It's a wreath. That's it's a, a good wreath. one. And it's fall. It's perfect. Yep. So, unfortunately, history is glo- gross. We're back on the incest train, point incest. Anyway, Maria Antonia spent her childhood in her summer, the summer home of the royals, where she hung out with the likes of childhood prodigy Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Okay, so this is literally the the modern day would be just going to rich summer camp, right? No, yeah, so this is the royal family summer house is where she was raised. Oh, perfect. So, and there she met Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. They were both like seven years old, and he was just bopping around performing <laughs> for the royals. He was just bopping around, just having a good time around. with his flute having and his violin the, and his the piano. time of his life. And at the time, Maria was being tutored to one day be an asset to the throne. She, however, really struggled with writing. By age 10, she couldn't write fluently in German, French, or Italian. Which is a lot to expect of a 10-year-old, in my personal opinion, but... No, I feel like they have such lower standards for us now these days. Agreed. Like, this was very important as a princess to be able to write in many different languages. Mm-hmm. She had a lot of tutors, all of them who found her incredibly difficult to teach, but said that she had a great character and was a really sweet girl. That's interesting. My guidance counselor said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so Maria Antonia was found to be really intelligent, but lazy and pretty ditzy. She did excel, however, in music. She played the harp, the harpsichord, flute, and was an incredible singer who performed for the royal family all the time. And on top of this, she was a great dancer. The problem for Maria is that she is the youngest of 16 siblings. That is quite a big litter. Yeah. And only 13 of which survived to adulthood. And because she's so far removed from the line of succession, little mm-hmm. Maria became a pawn on, Europeans, on Europe's political chessboard. Maria Antonia would be betrothed to the grandson of the King of France, the prince who is called the Dauphine, a.k.a. the heir, and she would be France's future queen. I feel like that's so crazy that that, that happened because she was so far in succession that I always feel like um, younger siblings in, like, royal thrones, they can more so do some, like, other things that they really want to, so mm-hmm. I would have thought that she would have been able to do more music, but maybe that's just seeing the rain plot and, like, <laughs> thinking that that's actually that's true. true. Well, because there's really no other advantage for her at that point except to be married off for alliances. True. So they said, you know what? Queen of France. There you go, kid. They're like, what are women for? What are women for? I know. The other day I was walking around and I saw a woman and she wasn't in the kitchen and I got so confused. No way. She wasn't making a sandwich? Dude, I was shocked. I was already making my peanut butter jelly sandwich. I can't even speak now. Dang. Because we're not in the kitchen. Exactly. It just worsens so out of our place. power. I guess so. Anyway, so being queen of France kind of just sounds like a dream, like right? Like being handed the crown of France and being like, oh, there you go. That's Enjoy fine. being a queen. But the marriage was political in its nature. It was a way to patch out the messy Austro-French relations after the Seven Years' War and basically just like 300 years of being enemies and fighting. Imagine having that bit of a, big of a grudge. Yes. Like, hello. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> No, I know, yeah, it's a big grudge. So the two countries had been enemies for a long time, so although the marriage was a really smart diplomatic move, Maria Antonia was still going to be an Austrian outsider, an enemy, and the public was not overly excited about having an Austrian queen. They just have to get over that. It's it's 17-whatever. Or I don't know when this was, actually. (laughs) 1700s. Exactly. Like, come on, get what the program here is about. It's modern era times. Sure, yeah. I think they didn't wash their hands, really, but... (laughs) And they had, like, one napkin for the entire year. That's actually true. So the French... So 
Marie Antonia was one way she was an outsider is because in Austria she had a bath like once a day. In France, you were had a bath once a year, and you were only prescribed it by a doctor. What? Because it was seen as a sin to bathe. Really? So she would come from Austria to France, and she'd start taking baths, and people would be like, "Oh my god, she's crazy town." Was it part of the political, like the religious um, structure of? No, because they were both Catholic. That's so interesting. Well, it was just like. Oh, what an indulgence. Like, why are you bathing? Like, all these things. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess from a scientific standpoint, there's, like, boosting your immunity just because you're, like, you're in the muck and stuff. But I don't think oh. they thought that far back then, too. I don't think so. <laughs> but it just physically, literally, and metaphorically, it's going to get messy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Maria renounced her claim to the Austrian throne and was married by proxy at age 14. Do you know what by proxy means? No. Okay, so basically... She was in Austria. Her soon-to-be husband, Louis Auguste, was in France. Mm -hmm. So at 14 years old, she had a wedding ceremony, and someone stood in as Louis Auguste. And that was completely legal and everything? Completely legal. So it wasn't like they didn't have, like, sleep with each other. It was just like, oh, they're having two weddings at the same time, basically just saying, okay, now this union is official. Really? I didn't even know that was possible. Oh, my. Yeah. Royal families did it all the time, having a wedding by proxy. I guess. Like, you'd have to probably bring everyone to that one country. And so maybe, like, Mm -hmm. that was a thing. But then it's like, it's your it's your own wedding that you're not even They would have a wedding ceremony afterwards. Oh, but it was just to solidify the political thing. When did they stop that, actually? I don't know. That's crazy. Like, when did they actually come to their senses? I'm I'm thinking. Around now. Around now. Yeah, around the 1700s. Oh, that's okay, where we okay. are. I thought you meant like in 2022. Because, oh, no. Because we have to remember that like we're looking at royal mm-hmm. families where travel is very difficult right. and isolated at this time. Yeah. So, age 15 years old, renounces her claim to the Austrian throne, is married by proxy. Age 14, renounces her claim to the Austrian throne, mm-hmm. married by proxy, and her absent husband is only 15 years old. So, he's 15, she's 14. So, in terms of age gaps of royals, good in terms of these are little children being married i not good yes but yeah they kind of don't even have their own power over their own mind they tr- like truly these are children who are political they're pawns. political pawns exactly mm-hmm. i was thinking about that and i was like i'm such a big chess player but i'm like this is not the way to go exactly so and even weirder maria Tur- maria's brother stood in no. as the dauphin during the wedding no. which is so weird oh my god they didn't like do anything but like Wait, what is that position? The do- Dauphine. The Dauphine. Yeah, yeah. Is the heir of France. So the Dauphine mm-hmm. is the prince who will one day be king. So her brother stood in line for that? Because I thought we were at the her, princes. Her brother, mm-hmm. so Maria Antonia's brother, mm-hmm. stood in the place of the Dauphine mm-hmm. at the fake wedding. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't in line, he wasn't the Dauphine, he wasn't in line to inherit France. Okay, he stood in line he just, for it. No, he just stood in for the stood in stood, for, stood for her husband. Yep. But where is the husband then? He's in France. Okay. Oh, gotcha. So this was at her place. This then. is in, oh, okay. this is in Austria. It. I thought this was at his place. No, so she's still in Austria, 14 years old. <laughs> oh my gosh. Brother stands in for the wedding. It's crazy. It's weird. Yeah. But they thought it was normal and yep. I guess who are we So to basically, judge? <laughs> there she's married. Oh. Oh. Okay. So Weird. Anyway, but at only 15 years old, Maria arrives at the border of France. There, she was physically stripped of all of her Austrian clothing and even her name. 
completely redone as a French princess in order to meet her husband. They said divergent who? Mm-hmm. Louis Auguste. So now this is how we know Maria Antonia as Marie Antoinette. Okay. So they basically changed her entire name, changed her clothing. They're like, you're no longer Austrian. You are French now. You mm-hmm. will be French. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Another wedding ceremony took place at Versailles on May 16th, 1770. Keep in mind, she arrived in France on May 14th, actually meeting Auguste, Louis Auguste two days prior to their official wedding. I wonder if that's like when they have the small talk and then they start dating or something or like, hey, I guess we're married. So I guess nope. I have to like, like you already now. married. I'm like. Okay. This is much more political than it is romantic. Yeah. And all these things. It's so sad. It is. It's really sad, especially because they're literal children. Exactly. Their wedding kicked off a ton of parties and celebrations and even the opening of an opera house. The celebration ended, however, on May 30th after a riot at the fireworks show killed 132 people. Are you serious? Was it an accident or? Just like people started rioting. Just oh, went a little too crazy. Oh, God. Political structure. So... Already, this is like, this is the bad omen. Basically. Yeah, if that didn't tell you something, maybe the next thing will, I'm sure. <laughs> Things are going to go wrong. So now Marie Antoinette is also the Dauphine because she's in line to be Queen of France. Okay. So as Dauphine, Marie Antoinette was the first lady of the court. That meant she had to balance a lot of egos and basically do political backflips if she wanted to stay on top as the leading lady. Mm-hmm. Marie Antoinette and Louis Auguste were supposed to be this new kind of ruler, a symbol of hope and change from the very unpopular Louis XV, who, luckily, was perpetually dying. Was he? Oh my gosh, what happened? He's just a sick old man. Oh, yeah, sometimes it People do be like that. People not like him. By old, was he like 35 or something? Practically. He was pretty elderly. I don't know exactly how old. <laughs> this is about Marie Antoinette. I don't know. I don't know. We don't talk about men. Although, he is, I believe he's the son of our boy, the Sun King, who has made perpetual reoccurrences on this show. Ooh, who's the Sun King? The Sun King was my homeboy. He was the one who built Versailles, basically brought all the aristocracy Mm -hmm. to the palace, made them have this culture of super wealth and luxury and monetary stuff so you could Mm -hmm. have a lot of influence over them. Problem is his descendants Mm -hmm. weren't able to exert the same control over the aristocracy, and it was such a drain on the treasury, such a drain on the people, Mm -hmm. and the aristocracy got so out of control that basically he's the reason why the French monarchy collapsed. So he built it up, but it still managed to collapse under him, too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So he turned into, our boy, the Sun King, turned it into this whole authoritarian yeah. kind of royal figure. And then, but the aristocracy got too powerful, and the other kings couldn't really hold on to the same power. He really said, like, no one's as good as me. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. He and I would have had fun. All right, back to Marie Antoinette. Exactly. <laughs> so Louis XV, perpetually dying. Still, he found a way to make things very difficult for Marie. Namely, via his mistress. Oh, no. Madame Dubarry. Why do men think that they can? Exactly. I don't get it. Madame Dubarry had a lot of political influence over the king and was instrumental in ousting some of Marie's Antoinette's allies, including the foreign minister who orchestrated Marie Antoinette's marriage and even exiling his sister, who was one of her ladies-in-waiting. She's literally, like, real-life Lady Macbeth. Oh, yeah. So it's very personal between the two of them. Mm Mm-hmm. When you're in a position of influence with a king or a future king and beauty, sex, and popularity is the currency, it's easy to see how an antagonism between the lowborn Duberry and Marie Antoinette could occur. She was only like still 14, right? So what can she She's do? She's like a teenager it's at like this It's like high school drama. What is this, 90210 or something? I guess so. <laughs> but real life French politics here. Yes. So Louis Auguste's aunts came to Marie Antoinette and advised her not to acknowledge Duberry at all. Like literally don't talk to her, don't do anything, don't give her any more legitimacy 
in the court than That's she already fair. has. Yeah. But ignoring Dubarry was seen as jeopardizing Austria's relationship with France but, because Dubarry had hi. so much influence over the king. Men. Mm-hmm. So the Austrian ambassador would actually spy on Marie Antoinette and report back to her mother, the Austrian empress. And they were like, girl, we know Dubarry is the worst, but you gotta say something to her. Anything at all. Just acknowledge that she's breathing and alive to appease Louis XV. Mm-hmm. Because he's mad at you for being rude to his mistress. But I, I just don't get it. It's just like you're literally married. Like, this is your wife, and she should kind of, I don't know, be the first priority. But oh, I guess, like, no, 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 no. So, this is what's going on Louis the 15th mm-hmm. is the king. Yep. Marie Antoinette is married to his grandson, oh, Louis Auguste. Gotcha. Sometimes all the Louis like him. It's a lot of Louis. That's why <laughs> it's a lot of Louis. Yeah. Louis the Fourteenth. He's the Sun King. That's why I just gotcha. call my boy the Sun King. Mm-hmm. So basically, if I didn't make it clear, mm-hmm. King Louis the Fifteenth has a mistress named Madame Dubarry. Is he the one who's dying? He's the dying king. Gotcha. Okay. His grandson, the only living heir really mm-hmm. he has, or the oldest living heir he has is Louis Auguste. Mm-hmm. Louis Auguste is married to Marie Antoinette. Gotcha. So that's why she has so much political power over kind of like the any part of the court too because yes. she's just been the mistress for so long and so mm-hmm. everyone has known her. Whereas Marie Antoinette, she just came on here. She's kind of like no scene yet. Yeah. No street class. Austrian outsider too. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense. Yes. So not her husband's mistress. I'm sure things would have gotten a lot uglier if that had been <laughs> I'm but that saying. Mistresses of Versailles wielded a lot of power. So you can never underestimate them. But basically, Marie Antoinette's mother and the ambassador would just like say anything to her. Just so the king can't be mad at us. Just do anything. Mm-hmm. And they finally convinced Marie Antoinette to do just that. On New Year's Day, 1772, Marie Antoinette walked up to Dubarry and commented, There's a lot of people at Versailles today. Wow, so and short and so sweet. And Dubarry said, yes, there are. And that was enough to satisfy Dubarry. Yes, people. Crisis averted. Wow. It's, see, all it takes is some diplomacy, I guess. Exactly. Sometimes. See, that's why, like, women, I feel like we're just, it, it just doesn't have to be as animosity, just, like, war-causing war as some maybe other political um, <laughs> confrontations, you know? Mm-hmm. So, if you can't tell by now, Marie Antoinette was raised to be an ornament. She wasn't given a lot of politically savvy education that she needed to survive as a queen, nothing like diplomacy, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Basically, she was just raised to be a wife. Did she have her music again, or did she have She's, anything No, like she that? still has music. Okay, that's good. And she would have, like, a very lively role at Versailles. Mm-hmm. But it was still very difficult because she's navigating a very politically dangerous time. Yeah. And she doesn't really have the training to do that. And her time as queen is coming up fast. Louis the Fifteenth died May Fourteenth, seventeen seventy four, joining our boy the Sun King in the afterlife. Wow! Yep, they're just France, prancing along. All right, I guess <laughs> not me saying prancing along. Prancing along. I don't know. Yeah, that works. That, that works. works. It works. So Louis August becomes King Louis the Sixteenth, okay. and Marie Antoinette was now Queen Consort of France. Where is the mistress, though? Ooh. We'll get there. Remember, now Marie Antoinette is Queen of France, and she's only nineteen. Yeah, that's a little. That's a lot of pressure that's on one a lot person. Of pressure. Dumari, however, was exiled to a convent two days after the king died. Not the convent. Is that actually what happened to mistresses back then? A like, lot of I times. guess where else are they going to go? I mean, mm. they 
they basically cheated, like she, helped in the yeah. affair the whole time. She was eventually allowed to return to the chateau she was given as a gift, but she was barred from ever returning to Versailles. Girl bossed a bit too close to the sun, if yeah. you know what I mean. No, a little bit. Made some big enemies. Got some sunburns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> from the moment Marie Antoinette arrived in France, she had one job to do. Mm-hmm. She and Louis needed heirs. Oh. Unfortunately, yeah. was as timid in politics as he was in bed. The marriage wasn't consummated for seven years. I thought that had to happen, like, after the wedding day. So there was, at the wedding day, which, by the way, he was, like, so, it was, like, I've seen the chapel where they were, like, gorgeous. He was all dressed in silver. She was in lilac and pearls. Like, there were fireworks and priests, and it was crazy, and it was parties. And they were actually sharing a bed together. They went to Marie Antoinette's room in the palace. Mm -hmm. People were witnessing, okay, they shared a bed. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's it. Okay. Sometimes they'd physically watch you consummate. Yeah, because I thought... <laughs> sometimes they would just, like, make sure, okay, these two have shared a bed. Mm. We don't actually have to see them. I guess that's better, but I guess, like, kind of, they need that air. Remember, these are children. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's fun. True. But, yes, wasn't consummated for seven years, which is a big problem. problem. For Marie Antoinette standing, because... She's a queen, an Austrian outsider. She needs to produce heirs. Exactly. So it's just seven years, nothing. Louis was super shy and was pretty uninterested in consummation. He was as timid as he was in politics as in bed. Like, just pretty un- Marie, however, was interested. And since her life literally depended on it. Yeah. But it's likely she and Louis were never given the talk. Oh, gosh. Not the talk. Yeah, I wondered how back then they would have said the talk. I don't know. I don't know. It still never gets any better, I guess. Apparently, like, someone wrote, like, they were just, like, dunderheads or something. Like, they just... Dunderheads? Something like that. Like, someone wrote that that they just didn't know. Like, they were just never given the talk. Oh, my God. Okay, so what they did in bed, free intervention has unfortunately survived in the historical record. Oh, God. (laughs) That's what they keep in record. I know. (laughs) Like, we could really... We could talk about Hepatia's equations... Anything talk, else? We but, could literally talk about anything else, and yet we had to write this down. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm. Talk, I don't. I think talk I'm ready, it. but I don't know. I don't want to talk about <laughs> it. I'm gonna cut it out of this podcast. It's okay. Okay, I'll tell you what it is. Though. Okay. And we're back. <laughs> and we're back. If you want to look up what they did, that's on you, guys. That's all, that's really on you. I don't know if I can like. I can't relive these these last 10 seconds. Nope. (laughs) So Marie's brother eventually came to Versailles to see what the holdup was. Okay. His very straightforward talk with Louis resulted in a thank you card from the couple and four heirs born in pretty rapid succession. Very rapid. But people started questioning if these children were really Louis' kids. Wait, really? Yep. Legitimacy is huge and everyone hated Marie Antoinette pretty much. So they're why? like, oh, she's just having affairs. Like, wait, why? Oh, we'll get into that. Oh, gosh. But remember, Plotholes. Austrian outsider is a big is a big factor here. True. Because they've basically been at war with Austria for like three hundred years on and off. But so. I thought like the this political marriage would have not ended it. Or still a lot of animosity. I guess. Yeah. They'd eventually go back to war with Austria. Oh, too, what? So it's a lot going on here. So, but the first princess to be born was Princess Marie Therese. Then two sons. Louis Joseph and Louis the Seventeenth, as well as a daughter, Princess Sophie. Oh, okay, happy bunch, pretty bunch. Marie Antoinette began to implement many changes at court. Um, she was very doting to her children and was trying to kind of gear things to be 
a little more modern. So style shifted to wearing less makeup and switching to very feminine, simple, Muslim-like white dresses, Mm -hmm. which the old court was very reluctant to accept because they were Mm -hmm. used to a lot of opulence. Yeah, but sometimes you just need to be a girl boss and, like, ignite change in however you think is a creative mm-hmm. outlet and she was a good mother i guess so she was she was very very fond of her children yeah very doting on them so marie actually did have some affairs and oh. was accused of having a lot more because she was an austrian queen who was supposedly careless with her lovers as she was with her money which I, we will get into yeah i always wondered how people in such high up courts could even do that and get away with it because everyone is watching you exactly i always like I just don't know how you would think you wouldn't get caught. But I guess there was no consequence. But there was more consequence for the women. So Absolutely. There I weren't. wonder why, what was going on through her head. Mm. Well, Louis wasn't very good in bed, which true. sounds strange. But, like, she's yeah. a woman. She has needs. That's very true. She's a very passionate, young individual. So I can and see young. very... Yeah. Exactly. She's only, like, in her 20s at this point. <laughs> so I can very easily see how this could be, like, kind of starting up. Right. So... There's this thing, it was the, I believe it was the affair of the diamond necklace. Basically, people accused her of stealing a diamond necklace. That from could be Dubarry. a movie. They accused her of stealing a diamond necklace from Dubarry, and it was this whole scandal. A bunch of people were arrested. She didn't actually do it, and in part of it, she was accused of having an affair with a cardinal. Oh my God. Didn't Why is this happen. reminding me of Jack from Titanic? Sorry. Remember, like when the when Rose's um, fiance, like he slipped the diamond into Jack's um, oh, pocket. Oh yes, and, I, and yes. he was like, "It's not me. It's not I me." Thought you meant having an affair with a priest, and how? Oh. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, I guess that I too. If you think that's that where <laughs> you saw the plot. Well, yeah. So as you can see, a lot of things we know about Marie Antoinette really didn't happen. For example, she never said, "Let them eat cake." She never did. Never said it. Really? Wait, Mm -mm. to who? Her children or? No, so there's this thing of like, we'll get into that too. Don't you worry. so many plot holes. I know, so many plot holes. Okay. So her reputation for parties and luxury, however, are not exaggerated. She was an avid partier. She gambled and loved fashion. She averaged 200 dresses a year and set the trends. Her mother, however, did not approve of this, seeing it as frivolous and irresponsible, which Mm -hmm. it kind of was. But she's really influential in this whole like be- French beauty standard that's and part luxury of culture. Brands. That's literally it is. part of culture, it's and that's how I always though. say like, right. But it, mm-hmm. I know to some people it might seem like more shallow and stuff. But I mean, for me personally, I love fashion, mm-hmm. so I always thought like accessorizing in fashion was such a good creative outlet to just show your personality and stuff. And then it actually is part of culture too when you think about it. And so I feel like it is another way to kind of establish. Um, this part of history. So I think it's it's still as impressive as maybe say changing politics or something. I I totally agree. But and we'll see. She is she is so fun. So Marie Antoinette <laughs> loved flowers and chocolate and especially hot chocolate. She must have loved Valentine's Day then. I guess so. Those sales in CVS, I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> she would have loved it. Anyway, but every single day she had a cup of hot chocolate with whipped cream and an orange, which was all capital letters huh. expensive. Expensive. Really? She was also a great supporter of perfumes, having a signature fragrance of orange blossom, rose, jasmine, and iris. Pretty. She also had a hamlet, a little retreat, little cottage built at Versailles just to get away from the court. Another very unpopular move. But she could do it. So mm-hmm. when you can, you just you just do. And you don't think about what anyone else has to say. Well, that's the problem when you're Queen of France. What everybody has to say is kind of important. Yeah, that's kind of true. But, I mean, how long did she stay Queen of France? No. 
super long. Oh. Hmm. Well, because this is the French Revolution we're talking about. Oh, okay. I don't really know much about the French Revolution. Is there anything else that's, like, interesting going on here? Oh, we'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> Louis was infatuated with Marie and allowed her to take the cultural and social reins of Versailles, which a lot of past queens had never been able to do. And it wasn't all bad, though. Marie was a patron to some of the greatest musicians and composers in France. Oh, yeah. What happened to my boy Mozart? He's, he's well, you know what happened to Mozart. He's well, doing great. <laughs> where's him in the story, I meant? <laughs> Germany. Probably, yeah. Yep. So, and she also was highly supportive of a female painter, Elizabeth Virgie Lebrun, who did 30 paintings of the Queen over her lifetime, and Marie Antoinette was pretty instrumental in making her, like, one of the most successful female painters in all of France. Girl boss helping awesome. girl boss. Exactly. Marie's mother wanted her to get more involved in politics to ensure political gains for Austria. Marie's attempts, however, were really messy, she wasn't really trained for it, and the court did not like her meddling. On top of all this, Marie Antoinette really struggled to adapt to the rigid court procedures required of the queen. For example, there was a waking ceremony, there were dressing ceremonies, there were eating ceremonies where people would watch her eat. Eating ceremonies? They just stand there and watch her eat. It was like a really big privilege to be able to be in the room with that. Okay, oh, wow. She was always surrounded by people, and everything was so much more rigid and formal than she was used to in Austria, so constantly a lot to deal with. I always wonder what it's like in princess school. Mm-hmm. She was also constantly ridiculed by the court, newspapers, pamphlets, to the extent of salacious and even pornographic drawings and accusations. She was the scapegoat for basically every problem there ever was. Yeah, whenever they, whenever anyone has a chance to blame anyone, it's usually, like, mm-hmm. some woman who's problematic. Yep. And if you look at her character, though, you'd see that this was all pretty much blown out of proportion. Marie Antoinette was really fond of children and even adopted several orphans. Oh. One with the daughter of her, one of her late maids, three daughters of a vicar and his wife. She helped get one boy into a priesthood and even a Senegalese boy who was given to her as a gift, as a slave. Disgusting. Usually this boy would have been a servant or a slave, but Marie baptized him and made sure all of these children were educated and cared for. See, okay, so this is and he was the balance. Yes, and he's regarded as an adoptive son of Marie Antoinette what? and Louis. See, now I just don't know where the balance, like, kind of, like, where it lies. Exactly. She's such a complicated person that you can't tell. She's not like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say, like, it's just so difficult. Like, is she mm-hmm. a villain? Is she a pawn? Because clearly she's overlapping. Or she's is a very she, complicated yeah, a very powerful person who just, mm-hmm. like, wants it her way? Mm-hmm. When one of her attendants ran over a wine grower with her carriage, Marie jumped out of the carriage and personally attended to the injured man. She paid for his hospital bills as well as financially supported the victims who of uh, the families of the victims from the riots at her wedding. Oh, really? Yep. Oh my gosh. She and Louis were big into philanthropy. Marie had charities for unwed mothers, the elderly, widows, and the blind. She gave food and money to the poor during famine and the royal family changed their meals to eat cheaper grain to ensure there was more food available. Did people like like her after this point or people or people were still kind in of in the like, beginning yeah. the public actually really liked her oh. but she was warped into this like basically caricature of everything mm-hmm. that was bad with the monarchy. Oh my gosh. She can't win. Of course this is also a good time to mention that the aristocracy used flour to powder their wigs <laughs> in times of famine. So that's not good. Yeah. Louis was actually highly educated and loved literature. He supported the Enlightenment and was really big for reform in the government. But the French aristocracy blocked his attempts at every turn. The people were growing increasingly frustrated, understandably, because 
poor economics, lots of wars, not a lot of food. And Louis, who cared more to be loved than to be powerful, was Mm -hmm. really distressed by this. It's kind of like those um, rulers who are like, uh, do they want to like rule by fear or do they want to rule by love? Exactly. The the couple suffered the loss of Louis-Joseph and later Princess Sophie, along with several miscarriages. Mm -hmm. The court became furious when they appointed Marie's favorite, Madame de Polignac, to be governess of their children. The couple actually trusted Madame de Polignac completely, knew she was very capable of raising their kids as in mis- as like a nanny, and really compensated her well. But the court was angry because she was from such a low-born family and now had so much influence at Versailles. So much generalization. I mean, they really have to stop. <laughs> yeah, birth was a huge thing. Marie did have some big political moves, including being incredibly influential in securing Austrian and Russian alliances for France and battling the Revolutionary oh, War. okay. And on top of this was... Like, helped get certain ministers into power to help with, like, the economic crises. So she did, like, eventually kind of learn how to to try to draw the correct strings on the political structure. She did, which is really good. So usually when I'm writing these episodes, getting information on these women is like fishing for sharks in a puddle. Mm -hmm. Like, it is very difficult. And today, instead of fishing in a puddle, I skydived into the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) There is just so much information because she's such an iconic figure and there's so much records of her that in her, between her role in the French Revolution, the end of the monarchy, everything she did was recorded. There is so much and it's hard to separate fact from fiction. There's a mm. lot more detail we can look into in terms of her life. But for time's sake, we're going to jump into the French Revolution. So this is a huge oversimplification of everything that happened. But basically, Louis called the Estates General, so his like whole government, together to try to raise taxes because he's like, we need more money. Yeah. We need to raise taxes. Yep. But the whole thing failed because everyone was just complaining about how much the aristocracy sucked, mm. which happens. Because they're the one who's who were who running themselves. So exactly. it's kind of like no one can pierce them, pierce into that. Even the own king can't. The people started protesting left and right, even storming the Bastille prison. Thank you, Lamez. And a mob of mothers even marched on Versailles because they wanted bread to feed their children. And imagine you're a peasant, you walk up, and you see this opulence. All this money, power, gold crown ceiling molding, just... That's where it's going? Like, hello, our children. Mm -hmm. So a mob did eventually break into Versailles, but the queen managed to escape because the guard in the next room screamed a warning, allowing her and her ladies to duck into a hidden door that led to her secret apartments. Oh, interesting. So she already thought about that. She kind of had an escape plan already. Mm -hmm. So actually, she had these, like, rooms... For the public to watch her for dressing and for eating and all these things. And then she had a little door that went to like her own private chambers. So it was just where she and her friends could hang out. Okay. She increasingly retreated into this privacy and a lot of people at the court didn't like it. Because she's supposed to be this like figure. Public figure. Public figure. Yep. She just wanted some privacy. Which, me too, babe. (laughs) But anyway, the queen managed to escape. Throughout the revolution, Marie Antoinette was much more decisive on policy than Louis. And many historians note her courage and not only trying to keep her crown together, but her family as well. So Louis was basically like super timid in trying to decide what to do. Marie Antoinette was constantly giving advice. He just kind of wouldn't listen to her. Was he really stubborn, I guess, in that sense? A little bit. He was just so dependent on his ministers Mm -hmm. and so afraid of being like not well liked Mm -hmm. that like he didn't even ride out to like hide out with his army. I get it. Like being a people pleaser and stuff. But come on, like when you hear a good idea, you kind of want to take it no matter who it comes from. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm at. 
The royal family was eventually moved to Paris, and Louis was forced to form a new government. He was put on trial by the new Republic of France and executed. Wait, this happened so fast. Yeah. <laughs> so this is actually over a, so again, a big oversimplification, mm-hmm. but royal family moves to France, government's dissolved, they're basically prisoners now, mm-hmm. and he's forced to sign a new government into law where it's a republic. Okay. And now he, as a former <gasps> king and citizen, is being tried. So that's how everyone's like, down, like that's when the republic won. Mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha. just about. So there'll still be Napoleon and some yeah. kings, and they'll go back to Republic, <laughs> and it's going to be a whole little, a whole n- noodle soup. But basically, he was put on trial by the New Republic and executed January twenty first, seventeen ninety three. In the six weeks that followed, one thousand four hundred suspected enemies of the revolution were also executed. Just like that. Just like that. They were tried and executed. It was mass paranoia. Off with their heads, I guess. Mm -hmm. Marie did not take any of this lying down. She was constantly trying to reach allies and reinstate the royal family, even planning escape attempts that were nearly successful. But in the end, it wasn't enough. Her husband was killed. One of her sons even died. Eventually went in, like, at 10 years old from the captivity. He got so sick. Like, things were just terrible. She was stripped of all her wealth. It was just... What happened to her family back home? Like, they couldn't take her back either? Well, at the time, they were at war with Austria. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't a lot of negotiating power they could do. Mm -hmm. So, but we will get there. Some some good does come of all this, of her attempts. So Marie Antoinette would spend the rest of her life in Parisian prisons. Her best friend, the Princess de Lambelle, refused to take any oath against the crown and resolved to spend her imprisonment at Marie's side. They were literally ride or die. And consider- <laughs> That's what it means. Yep. yep. And considering this is the French Revolution, well... It basically comes to that. The princess yep. was eventually handed over to a mob, violently attacked, and then executed. Her Jeez. head was paraded on a pike outside of Marie Antoinette's prison window. Oh my goodness. If they didn't, mm-hmm. if they didn't have torture, then that's kind of... Yeah. So this is also a callback because Marie Antoinette had several accusations in these sensationalist papers of lesbianism. Oh, okay. Interesting turn. Including with the princess. Um, lots of other women came forward just to try to, like, she wasn't a lesbian. She was, these are just very just big slanders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. at the time, they're like, oh, Austrian women are more susceptible to lesbianism. Like, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> In the 1700s, this, these were still taught. This were is topics. science. Wow. This is science, obviously. No, it's fact, Don't obviously. Bathe. One napkin a year. I guess so. Just, it's a weird time. Mm-hmm. So, wasn't a lesbian. Her husband, her best friend was murdered. Now her husband's murdered. Her son's died in captivity. She doesn't have a crown. She's in prison. She's in prison. And the clock is ticking on her own demise, unfortunately. Marie Antoinette was put on trial October 14th, 1793, and was publicly guillotined two days later. Oh, wow. So that's how it all happened then she was executed. She was charged with depletion of the treasury, conspiracy against internal and external state security, and high treason. At worst, she and her lawyers had expected these charges to yield life in prison, but it was clear from the beginning that the intent of the trials was execution. If you don't believe me, Exhibit A, she and her lawyers were only given one day to mount a defense. Is that even, like, you don't have any time for that exactly. at all. They kind of, I feel like they already knew what they wanted to do then. It's mm-hmm. very not fair. It was a show trial, basically. They were going to have, they were going to kill her no matter what. Mm. 
So the day of her execution, Marie chopped off her hair and was forced to put on a white gown in front, like change clothes in front of the guards. Oh my goodness. She so wanted inhuman. Mm-hmm. She wanted to wear a black dress, but white was the official color of France's widowed queen. So even now in her last acts, she doesn't have control over her own autonomy. Not even a last meal. Mm-mm. Bound and tossed into the back of a cart instead of riding in a carriage like her husband had. Marie Antoinette had to ride an hour to the plaza where she would be executed. I wonder so what her thoughts were in there for an hour. Humiliation. She was sitting next to a priest. The priest is like, okay, I'm here to listen to your confession and like give you last rites. And she just wouldn't talk to him. It's like, buddy boy, get me out of here. She's like, you're a revolutionary. You're not going to help me. There's not nothing talking. I can do. Not talking to you. Mm-mm. Her last words were, pardon me, sir. I did not do it on purpose. She said this to the executioner, who she accidentally stepped on the foot of on her way up the platform to the guillotine. <laughs> that's her last, that's her last, last kind of legend. Very quietly, pardon me, sir, I did not do it on purpose. It's kind of sad, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's your legacy. Mm-hmm. I hope he still has that bruise. <laughs> I know. Her will and letters that she wrote in the hours before her death, affirming her Catholic faith and her love for her children— were actually found under the bed of Robespierre, a leading revolutionary. Huh? And what they were doing there, I don't know. Mm. Robespierre was like the sensationalist guy in the public, like in the committee of public safety, who was basically mm-hmm. the one who was orchestrating all these like head chopping offs. Yeah. Eventually, he got his head chopped off, and that's kind of where the revolution okay. died down. But what they were doing there, I don't know. Why were they under his bed? But weird. Anyway. <laughs> She and Louis were eventually buried side by side in a mausoleum in Paris during the Bourbon Restoration, where the royal family was briefly reinstated. Okay, so who was next in line, actually, for the throne? How many kids are still alive at this point? So, the only child to survive was Maria Therese. Okay. She was originally sentenced to death by revolutionaries, but that life sentence was commuted to exile. Okay. Austria secured her release, and she moved to the court of Francis II in Vienna, so her mother's home. Mm -hmm. So she's back in Vienna. She married her cousin, and when the throne was reinstated, moved back to France as the Dauphine. We've come full circle in the wreath. Full circle in the wreath. So, but basically she's now in line to be Queen of France. Okay. Which, she's finally done the Dauphine of France. Mm -hmm. Of course, again, then she's exiled. The whole mess reinstated itself. Her parents were, however, given a proper burial, and for a time, she was. Do you believe in family curses? This sounds a little bit like something that's happened over and over again. Mm Mm-hmm. And apparently, actually, my mom is distantly related to Marie Antoinette. No way. Which is kind of cool. How did you find that out? Uh, she did like a 23andMe thing. They had Marie Antoinette's DNA to yeah. realize that? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I need to take one of those. But that's kind of sometimes interesting, like how much data they take from you. That's where I'm at, too. <laughs> so, Marie Antoinette, what do we think of her? Villain? Party girl? Pawn? It's just one crazy chessboard mm-hmm. or chess circle, I guess. <laughs> it's a lot to muddle through. She was a really complicated person. At least for me, I think it's safe to say that there's a lot more to her than just her reputation. Certainly more than just the women who never the woman who never said, let them eat cake. Sometimes you can't have your cake and eat it too. I guess so. So, so something I have to learn as a Kelly Boner, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's why I was like, hey, you want to come on the podcast? She's like, what's media? <laughs> I was like, well, you're about no, to find I was out, kid. literally like, whoa, this is a school? <laughs> this is real tools and technical oh, yeah. stuff? None oh of them God. I know how to use. Guys, what? I'm using a microphone that, like, I don't have to hold. 
This is crazy. That is pretty crazy. I know. I'm so happy that you're having fun. I know a woman just did just die, but oh yeah, Rip. we're having fun. <laughs> hey, Dia Ripping de los Muertos. We've got to put her on the. I guess uh, so. The ofrenda. ofrenda. See, we just watched Coco, guys. We did. We cried. We cried. I our guess hearts we did out. use Spanish today. Yes. Well, I tell lies all the time, so it's fine. Wait, what? <laughs> well, that about wraps it up for this week. Hey. Hold on, plot holes. <laughs> Kaya, thank you so much for coming today, and thank you for suggesting that we do Marie Antoinette. Yeah, of course. Anytime. I was so glad to come on here. I know. I'm so glad. You're, you're joy as always. <laughs> you're just a joy. To our incredible audience, thank you so much. Eat cake, don't lose your head, and join us next week for another woman who made her story. Mm-hmm.